of our heart, that you would open the ears of our heart, that we would respond in faith, and that we would respond in works. I pray that your spirit would use your word for our good, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would heal us where we need to be healed, that you would provide everything that's needed in these next moments, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Typically, uh, a passage that's used to guilt people who haven't been to church in a while. Have, have you guys been on either, either side of that? You know, you, you haven't been in church in a while, and, you know, the people at first are just kind of joking with you. Oh, I haven't seen you in a while, you know, or, you know, you get that card in the mail from your Sunday school teacher, and it's like, we've been missing you, you know. And, uh, but then later, someone finally comes in and they're like, hey, look, like, no more fooling around, like Hebrews ten twenty five. Get to church, you know. Um, that's typically how this passage is used. I want to look at it in a different way. But before we do that, I want to begin by focusing on the greatest TV series of all time. Now, we all know what that is, right? Like, everyone in this room knows exactly uh, what the greatest TV series of all time is. I've given you, I've stalled, give you just a few seconds to think about that. It should just come to your minds automatically. On the count of three, I want us to all say, the greatest TV show of all time. Okay, are you ready? One, two, three, The Office. Right, The Office, right? Like, yeah, yes, The Office, The Office. I know all of you have seen The Office, so I don't even have to pretend that you don't know what I'm about to say. Um... But The Office, if you haven't seen it, focuses on a paper company, and you have a boss, and his name is Michael Scott, and uh, it's played by Steve Carell, and um, I don't necessarily want to... Rec- oh, it's, you have to be very careful, and I feel like I've done it about a hundred times since I've started preaching more regularly up here. You've got to be careful recommending shows uh, to families, but, you know, um, The Office is definitely a hilarious show, but Michael Scott, he leads this uh, paper company, and, and it's just this dry humor, it's hilarious, but Michael Scott, from the beginning all the way until the end, he wants more than anything to be accepted and liked and wanted and loved by his co-workers he just wants to fit in all right and he's irritating and and he gets on their nerves but he constantly wants to fit in he he even has to trick uh Jim and Pam who are a couple workers there to come to his house for a dinner party dinner party by the way uh number one episode uh seasons three and four absolute greatest seasons of the show but uh he has to trick people to come and uh like there's this one line he has that's absolutely hilarious he says um some, there, there's this inside joke that's happening. He kind of he kind of stumbles in upon it. He's late to it, and they're like, "Oh, it's an inside joke." And he says, "Oh, I love inside jokes. I'd love to be a part of one someday." <laughs> I see. Some of you guys get the humor. Some of you don't. Um, but he's constantly wanting to fit in. There's there's a there's a scene, and it's all about gossip. And so uh, Michael is constantly missing the gossip you'll have this this group of three or four in there they've heard something and they're gossiping about it and they're talking and then he kind of stumbles in on it and and they just then it's over you know he's constantly missing it and he wants to be in in that episode he actually makes up a rumor just so he can be a part of the gossip of the group and, and even though we all laugh at, at Michael Scott, one of the reasons we laugh at him is because we can kind of relate to that because don't we all really want to belong we really want to fit in you know, we, we see it uh, as, as children go through adolescence that, you know, it finally starts to hit like, I really need to make sure that I 
I blend in here. Like, I don't want to stick out. I really want to fit in. I really want to belong. That's why it's crushing for so many people when they get cut from teams. Not necessarily because they love basketball or baseball so much, but they can't be on the team. And for those of us who have played sports, the greatest part of playing sports isn't even necessarily, you know, playing the sport itself, but it's about being with your teammates. You know, those are the memories that I have most, just hanging out with my teammates. We all want to fit in. We all want to belong. And the reason is because we were all created for community. It's hardwired into us. Do you remember when uh, in Genesis 1 where God creates Adam, in Genesis 2 especially, God creates Adam. And Adam recognizes something. He names all the animals. He looks out with every single thing that God has created. And what does he feel? He feels a void, right? There's, there's something missing. There's a companionship that I don't have that I need. And then we usually just kind of gloss over that, and then we see that Eve is created. And now Adam's like, aha, yes, I have it. Now I finally have what I was missing. But have you ever stopped just to meditate for a second on where Adam is and his, his condition and his circumstances? He's in the very presence of God. And there is no sin in his heart. Sin has not entered the world. And he's in a paradise with God, and he feels like something's missing. Now, that's not a deficiency in either God or Adam. What it means is God created Adam to desire companionship. He created Adam to desire fellowship and community. He was created for it. And in those moments, he didn't have it. And so he felt like something was missing. That was a holy desire that he had. It was holiness to not want to be alone. Isolation is of hell, which is what hell, as some writers have said, will be like. Perpetual isolation. Sin brought isolation into the world. Sin brought division into the world. And what we see in Genesis 3, when sin enters the world, the vertical relationship that Adam and Eve had with God, the communion that they shared with God, is broken. Because of their sin, they are banished from the presence of God and everything changed. The whole dynamic changed. And then also, the relationship between Adam and Eve, between people, is also broken because of sin. The community that they shared is no longer perfect. And we see that attested to very quickly after the couple uh, leave the garden, their, their offspring, we have Cain killing Abel. Right? Community, where community, the, the essence of it is life-giving, where it's building something, where it's giving and sacrificing for one another. And then you have uh, murder, which is the opposite of that, the elimination of community. And that's what sin brought in to the world. And so you have this inner human desire that we all have to belong and be a part of a community. But then we also have sin that's dwelling in us that at the same time it's like we're being pulled and we're like, no, 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 but I really want to just be alone. Because if, if you enter into a relationship with someone else, whether it's a friendship or a marriage or a church, you recognize that you're a sinner, they're sinners, and things are going to be really difficult. And so the temptation is, maybe if I can just do especially in the church, if I can just do the superficial religious stuff and get what I need, you know, I can ignore the rest of these people here. What I want us to focus on this morning is what Jesus died for. Jesus didn't just die for you individually. And I think that's emphasized a lot, and it should be, that Jesus died for you. He died for you. But Jesus didn't just die for you. He died for the church. Jesus shed his blood for a people. And Jesus shed his blood to create two things that were lost when sin entered the world in the garden. Communion with God and community with others. And so that's, that's kind of how I want to break down 
Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. There are three points that I have. Again, you don't have any notes. The, the goal for that was for you to have a blank note page where you could take a lot of notes. And now I've left you with no type notes, no pages where you can take notes. <laughs> you just have to focus on me and listen. Um, so I hate that. I'm sorry. But uh, for those of you that are taking notes, I do have three main points that I want us to look at because Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 basically breaks up into two huge sections with the second section breaking up into two main parts. And so the first point is that Jesus is the foundation of community. Jesus is the foundation. And we see that in verses 19 through 21. And then from there, I'm going to show where Jesus brings us through his death. So through the cross, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, He creates two things, communion with God and community with others. So Jesus, second point, brings us near to God. And then third point, Jesus brings us near to each other. So let's let's begin with verses 19 through 21. Jesus is the foundation of communion with God and community with others. Hebrews 10, 19. And you know, I hate this. Like, sometimes you come to it in your Bible, like, verse 19 is at the very bottom of my Bible, so I have to, like, flip over, and then I'm going to flip back and flip back over. It's just kind of irritating. I'm just taking you into how my mind's working right now. I'm sorry. So, verse 19. Let's go. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, and we're going to stop there. He hasn't even finished the sentence yet. Actually, I feel like I'm reading one of Landon's passage in the sentences. Like I used to joke with him that it was more like passage in a paragraph, you know, Um, because it was just a really lengthy sentence. But he's basically giving us two bases for what he's about to say. He's about to tell us what to do, okay? And as Christians, we need to know what to do. But Christianity is really special because... Every single thing that we are told to do is rooted in something that has already been done on our behalf. And so verses 19 through 21, he kind of lays the basis. He lays the foundation and he says, since this is true, since Jesus is this, since Jesus did this, then we should do this. And we're going to look at what we should do here in a minute. But first, let's consider Jesus as the foundation. We see two things here. First, that Jesus is a sufficient sacrifice. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, the letter of Hebrews, uh, we're not really sure who wrote it. There are a lot of good guesses out there, but we're really not uh, sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure enough to even say a name this morning of who I think wrote Hebrews. But the author of Hebrews is telling us, well, he's writing to a Jewish audience, okay? And so some of this language, especially if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, but even if you are familiar with the Old Testament, we are so far removed from that context that it may not hit us the same way. When this writer writes to these Jews, can, can you imagine being a Jew and hearing this? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. There were, there were two institutions in the Old Testament. You had the tabernacle and you had the temple. And in the tabernacle, in the, in the temple, there were um, these, these places, the, the holy places. There was the holy place and then there was the most holy place. Or maybe you've heard it, the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies is where the presence of God would come down and dwell once a year on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And that was the day that God's people by nature, and we can all recognize this, by nature alienated from him, alienated, can be accepted by him. So those who are by nature alienated by God would find acceptance from God, but it would only happen through atonement. So you have an alienated people, you have a God who can only accept them on the basis of atonement. And it would happen on this day. And only a special person, person could go in. You had the high priest. And the high priest, once a year, would take an animal. And he would take that animal into the Holy of Holies, which was blocked by a curtain. Okay, And there, he would kill the animal and shed its blood on the mercy seat of God. And it would atone for the sins of the people. They would be accepted by God on the basis of this sacrifice. But only the high priest 
had access into the presence of God in this way. And you have the writer of Hebrews telling the people, he's telling us here this morning, you can enter the holy of holies with confidence. Because if you would have not been the high priest or it would have not been this time of year and you would have not followed these rules really specifically and you had tried to enter the holy of holies, it was over for you. Like they were having a funeral the next day. You would die if you tried to enter the presence of God in a way that he did not allow. No one could enter the presence of God. No one had that kind of access to God. And the writer of Hebrews says, we have confidence. We have confidence. You this morning, you have confidence to enter the presence of God. Why? Or how? By the blood of Jesus. Here's why. Jesus becomes the sacrifice. When Jesus goes to the cross and he and he dies on the cross and his blood is shed. Jesus, as both our priest and our sacrifice, he goes into the holy of holies and offers himself as the sacrifice. And Jesus, just like the lamb had to be spotless, Jesus was sinless. Jesus dies on the cross He bears the weight of your sin. The author of Hebrews tells us, unlike the old covenant where next year, another high priest would bring another lamb. Because what would happen to the animal? The animal would die and the life would be gone. And so you had to bring another one. And then that animal would die and the life would be gone. And so the next year, the people keep sinning. They still need atonement. They're still alienated because of their sin. And to have acceptance, they have to have atonement. And so they had to bring another animal in. The author of Hebrews tells us when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he put an end to all of that. Because three days after Jesus died, he took his life back. He came back from the dead. And so he stands in our place as a sufficient sacrifice. Now, we desire community by nature. It is good. If you hate being alone, it is good that you hate it. If you feel like, man, I just don't feel close to anybody here. I'm really upset. That's good. God has hardwired you to want community and to want to feel close to others. And by nature, we are alienated. We desire community with God And we don't have it because of our sin. We desire community with others and it's hard because of our sin. Oftentimes we don't have it because of our sin. Well, Jesus came to put an end to that. Jesus came as a sufficient sacrifice to give us access to the presence of God. Look what what it says in verse 20 and 21. Verse 20. And by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So he says, you have access to the holy of holies. You can go into that place. Oh, but don't look for a temple somewhere. Don't, don't look for a temple somewhere because the curtain by which you enter to get into the holy of holies is the flesh of Jesus himself. You get to God through Jesus and Jesus alone. He has opened the way. He has made a way. Jesus is our once for all sufficient sacrifice. And everyone who comes to him, everyone receives full access and full acceptance because Jesus is a perfect and sufficient atonement for your sin. If you feel alienated from God this morning, you no longer have to be. Because Jesus has made the way for you to be accepted by God. Come to him. And maybe you need to be reminded of this because you have a specific sin struggle that you you are afraid to bring to God. And maybe you don't want to, we're going to see in a second, one of the first exhortations is draw near to God. And maybe one of the reasons that you don't want to get close to God is because you know how holy he is. 
right? And you know how sinful you are. Maybe there is a sin that is keeping you from drawing nearer and nearer and nearer to God because you're afraid he might not accept you. Friends, God accepts you because Jesus atoned for you. You are no longer alienated from God by faith in Jesus. He is a sufficient sacrifice. And as we've seen, the verse 21 We have a great priest over the house of God. The second thing there, he is a perfect priest. Jesus perpetually intercedes for his people. He perpetually mediates between God and man. He is a perfect priest. Where some of the high priests would mess up, and when they messed up, they died, and they did not intercede for the people perfectly. Jesus will never, ever, ever fail to perfectly intercede for you. Jesus is the foundation of our community. The reason that we can draw near to God, the reason we can do the things that he's about to encourage us to do is because Jesus died in your place. His blood was shed. So Jesus is the foundation. But secondly, I want us to begin looking at community. So we are alienated from God and we're alienated from each other. It's not how it was originally created to be, but because sin entered the world, there is a broken vertical relationship and there are broken horizontal relationships. And so... On the basis of Jesus' shed blood on the cross, Jesus himself brings us first, point two, near to God. The blood of Jesus creates communion with God. And so we see it in verse 22 and verse 23. Let's look at these two together. So on the basis of verses 19 through 21, the shed blood of Jesus in our place and the fact that he is a great priest, Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. You know, it reminds me of uh, my, my high school basketball coach before every single game, we would be in the locker room, you know, and uh, we'd be getting ready, and he would come in and give us the game plan, and then he would go back out for a few minutes. I never knew what he did when he left, but he would, he would leave for a few minutes, and then, you know, we'd just kind of be talking there, and depending if it was a really big game, a lot of times we were just silent, you know, and then, and then he would come back in, and he would always say things. Some of it was true. Some of it was just not true. He was just using it to pump us up, but, but he would say things like, I know for a fact we've worked harder than them. I know we have. I know for a fact that you've lifted more weight. I know for a fact that we have spent more time. I know for a fact that we have planned more. I know for a fact that we have better strategies. So let's go out there and let's kick their butt. Like every single time he would convince, we were convinced, whether it was true or not, that we were better than the team we were about to play. And so he would like give us all this foundation. Like some of it was totally bogus, but, but it, was, it was a foundation anyway for us. And we're teenagers, we don't care, it sounds good. Um, and then we would go out there and he would say, now do this and do this and do this. These duties, these commands that we would have. Brothers and sisters, these next three commands, the two that I just read and one more, these are commands. And what a privilege they are. Look at this first command. You have a duty this morning to do verse 22. Look at it. Let us draw near. That's your job. Your job this morning as a Christian, is to draw near to God. Draw near to him. Have you ever considered the great privilege that that is? If not, I want you to hold your place in Hebrews 10 and turn with me to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. Now, I know the original uh, readers of this letter would have probably immediately thought back to a passage like this. Exodus 19. It's one of the crucial passages in the Old Covenant. It's where God creates a people. It's really really important. Um, Look at verse 5 of chapter 19. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, 
You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So he's telling Moses, hey, go tell the people that they're special because they're mine. That I want them. So they keep my covenant. They're mine. You're mine. Okay, and so... So then some, some more instructions as, as, as we move down. Um, Moses goes to the people and he tells them, and then uh, look with me at verse 10. It says, when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, so he goes back to the Lord, and, and now the Lord's going to tell him something else to tell the people. Verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Okay, so just tracking with the story. God says, hey, tell the people to get ready because I'm coming. I'm coming down. I'm going to come down and dwell on this mountain. The presence of the Lord is going to be on this mountain and tell the people to come. Tell the people to come, but not too close. Not too close. Stay back. If they touch that mountain, they're dead. You don't have that kind of access. Moses, you do. You do. I've granted that to you. The people don't. Tell them to stay back. So, so look at verse Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, they, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp, listen to this, to meet God. He's bringing them out to meet God. This is really clear. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. So, under the old covenant, the people had the privilege of meeting God, of knowing God to a certain extent, but they could not draw near. If they had drawn near to God, they would have died, they would have perished. This clear warning, hey, I'm coming. So you guys come, but not too close. And by the blood of Jesus, that barrier is no longer there. The Lord says to all through his son Jesus, come to me all the way, all the way. You can't get close enough. So this exhortation here, this command essentially, let us draw near. We draw near to God by faith. Okay, God is not waiting on you to achieve a certain level of righteousness or holiness before he lets you into the inner circle. By virtue of Jesus' work on your behalf, you are invited to come all the way in to draw near to God. What does it say? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, that happens by saving faith. Believe this morning and draw near to God. So we, we don't draw near through religious performance. We draw near by receiving a gift. So Jesus, he brings us near to God. Now, practically, practically, how do you draw near to God? How do you do it? Well, we draw near through his word. We, we draw near through prayer. We, we draw near through the, the corporate gatherings that we have. We, we draw near. You notice in communion? You notice one reason why we call it that? 
It's communion not only with one another as we're sharing a meal together, but it's communion with God as we break the bread and as we drink the cup. We draw near through song, you know? We help each other draw near in small groups. And when can you draw near? When, when you've been following your Bible reading plan really well, then do you get to get inside the, the inner circle? Do you get to draw near when, when you've just had a really good day of obedience to the Lord? No. We draw near on the basis of the blood of Jesus, which means you draw near to Jesus all the time. When you're hurting, when you're weak, when you're sick, when you're sinning, when you're sinning, you need more than at any other time to draw near to God. And when you draw near to Him, you will not face condemnation because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is only acceptance, 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 acceptance every single time by faith in Jesus because the entire Christian life is centered on the person and work of Jesus. Not yours, His. So draw near. Draw near. Jesus has bought nearness to God through his death and resurrection. Okay, and so the second command here is to hold fast. So, so this encouragement in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So since we have access to God, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, what do we do? We hold fast to our hope. It tells us a couple of things. First, you have hope because Jesus died in your place. You have real hope. And then secondly, it's a hope, a hope that we can actually touch and hold on to. You can hold on to the hope. So the encouragement here is don't let go. Don't stop. Don't stop. You feel weak. You're doubting. You know, notice the language. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. How? Without wavering. There is much that happens in our lives that would cause us to waver in our hope in God, right? So how could we have a hope? How could we hold on to it without wavering? He tells us the reason. For he who promised is faithful. You can be sure that your faith will last because it is in a God who always keeps his promises. Your assurance that you will persevere to the end is in the fact that God is faithful. Not that your faith will always be really strong, but that your faith is in a faithful God. That's how you hold on to hope without wavering. It, it makes me think, I know some of you heard the, the story, but it makes me think of... Uh, my grandmother, when, when she died, my grandmother had Alzheimer's. And there was some tension in, in the family. I mean, there's always tension in the family when it comes to someone who has Alzheimer's. It's just really stressful. Uh, but there was really a lot of tension at the time of her death over whether she still had a conscious faith of G in Jesus or not. Like, did she still know Jesus? She had forgotten everything. She'd forgotten how to eat, you know? So, but did she forget Jesus? And, and that's, that's kind of where we were going back and forth. And I know a lot of people in my family, a lot of people in our home church, they took a lot of comfort in this, this thought that even though she forgot everything else, she never forgot Jesus. But I can tell you because I was there, she forgot Jesus. She forgot him. So how could any of us have hope in her faith if she didn't even know the object of her faith anymore. She no longer believed in Jesus because she no longer knew who Jesus was. Well, our confidence was not in her ability to believe or hang on or hold on or to have hope any longer. Our confidence was in a faithful God who never forgot her and who will never forget you, ever, no matter what happens. We don't know what, what the next few minutes hold but the next few years we don't know where we'll be we don't know what will happen there may be something that happens that causes you to seriously seriously doubt 
And you may never feel the confidence that you feel today again. But guess what? God accepts you and God is faithful, not on the basis of whether you're having a good day or not. It's on the basis of the blood of Jesus. The once for all sacrifice and atonement for your sin. So hold fast to hope, knowing that God will never let go of you. So Jesus, he, he brings us near to God. But he doesn't just bring us near to God. He brings us near to others. And this is where some of us pause because this is where it gets a little tricky because our faith in God is a little bit easier because we know that God will always be faithful. But drawing near to other people is harder because we know that people will sin against us. We know that God will never sin against us. And so drawing near to him is a little easier than it is to draw near to other people in this room. Because some people in this room may have wounded you. And so it's really natural and really easy for us to stray away. And so I want us to look at verses 24 through 25 and then we'll close. Jesus doesn't just bring us near to God, he brings us near to others. The blood of Jesus, don't miss this, the blood of Jesus creates community in the church. His, his blood bought community here. So it's not, it's not an option for us, you know? This isn't something that we can, we can just, you know, pass off or participate in every now and then. Jesus died to bring us close together. He died for it. So we have to take it seriously. Let's look at 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So a few things. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. You can almost hear the snarky attitude, right? As is the habit of some. Some of you, some of you are neglecting, you know, to meet together. But what I want us to, to consider, because I think a lot of times when we read this passage and you, and you read that, neglecting to meet together, we only think of it in, in, as in terms of the Sunday uh, morning gathered worship. And, and honestly, most of the commentaries that I read, that was the, the primary interaction, you know. Don't neglect gathering on Sunday mornings. And of course, that, that's what this is speaking to. But I think we limit the scope when we only talk about Sunday morning gatherings. I think the context of this passage actually implies smaller gatherings. Because look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir one another up or to stir up one another to love and good works. And then, so that's the basis of the context. And he says, not neglecting to meet together. So the exhortation is, stir one another up. Stir one another up and consider how to do it. Stir one another up to love and good works. How often does that happen in this room on Sunday mornings? It does happen. It happens. That's why I think that Sunday morning gatherings are completely in view here. But how often are you able to stir a brother or sister up to love and good works? It can happen here. But the primary purpose here is you're receiving this fuel and this energy. And I pray that as you're sitting in your seats now and as the Spirit is speaking to you, that you are considering, that you're in the considering phase of this, of this verse. Now, instead of only thinking of this passage, okay, now how does this apply to my life? You know, now what do I need to do differently? And how is the Lord speaking to me? Have you ever sat in your seat during a sermon and said, now how can I use this to encourage someone else in this room? How, how, can, how can God use me in someone else's life? How often do you consider, seriously consider, take time to sit down, maybe even take notes on how to stir a brother or sister up to love? How can I help? Mitchell, love someone more this week. What can I do? What can I do? How can I encourage Danielle to, to do good this week? How can I do that? Maybe if our quiet times were spent not just considering what God says in his word and how it applies to our day that day, but consider what God says in his word and then say, now how can I use this in the life of Trace Crossing? Okay, the Lord's gifted me in this specific way and here's how he's speaking. Now, who can I stir up this week? Who can I stir up? Who can I call and say, hey, you want to get together for lunch? 
And then at that lunch meeting, you're not just hearing how things are going, but you hear how things are going and then you consider because you've been in the word how you can encourage that person to love Jesus more, to love others more and to do good works. You know, faith without works is what? Dead, right? We want to be on guard for that, right? I don't, I don't doubt that any of you believe in Jesus. Any of our members, I don't have any doubts that you believe in Jesus. So our goal now as we gather together, especially in smaller gatherings, is to help each other work. Work out our faith. And so, yes, that happens here to some degree. But it mainly happens in smaller gatherings. And, you know... This, this phrase, not neglecting to meet together. The reason that's said is because some neglect to meet together. And just in my time here at Trace, um, our life groups have always been very well attended. Very well attended. It, it's actually just as far as stats go in churches and churches of our size, it's impressive how many of you are committed to a life group. And I want us to keep that momentum going. I want us to continue pressing in um, to our life groups. But if you have been neglecting or if maybe you've had the thought like I have in the past, you know, man, I've really been pouring into a life group. I'm just kind of tired. You know, just kind of tired. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a break. Um, first of all, I would want to know what's happening in the life group that's causing you to not feel rest and, and joy and nourishment, but instead weariness. Um, maybe something needs to change. Maybe something on our end needs to change. Uh, but I, I, there are two main reasons that people neglect gathering together, whether it's on a Sunday morning or in smaller gatherings. And maybe you've experienced these. The first is past experiences. So you've had a really bad experience in the church. You've gotten close to people, you've poured yourself out, and it's, it's just not worked out. You know, people have stabbed you in the back. It's, you've just had a horrible experience, and you're just slow to get close again. And I, and I understand that. I get that. But what do you need more than anything else if you have bad past experiences? You need healing. You need to heal. And I'm not saying that you need to, you know, immediately jump right into a small group necessarily. But you need healing, and that happens in the context of community. Well, another reason that, that we neglect to meet together is not just past experiences, but poor expectations. I think this one's probably more common you expect something of the group that the group was never designed to give you. You're asking for, for more than what the group should give you. And so you have this, this expectation that maybe it's just a little bit off. Maybe you have a bad expectation. And if that's the case, maybe you need humility. You know? Well, where are we trained in humility? In community. So whether you have been hurt in, in churches in the past or maybe you just have poor expectations or maybe you're in neither of these camps and you are not neglecting. You're, you're a part of the group. I want you to know that you need the other people sitting in this room. We need each other. If we are going to follow Jesus, we have to do it together. We can't do it by ourselves. Personal devotion time is good. It's good. I encourage it. I do it. I encourage it. It's not enough. I need people who think a little bit different from me speaking into my life. I need other people praying for me. I need other people caring for me. I need to be loved and I need to love others. I need to be known and I need to know others. I need to care for others. I need to serve others. And I need to be cared for and I need to be served. And you can't do any of those things by yourself. If you're just showing up for the teaching ministry of this church or the discipleship ministry, I want to tell you something right now. You can do that at home. You don't have to wake up early, all right? Just like you don't have to wake up and get dressed and come here if you're just wanting to grow in knowledge or hear good sermons. Like there are infinitely better sermons online you can access. You know, you can wake up in the morning, get your phone out and access some of the best sermons that have ever been preached in the history of the world. That's not why we come here. We come here for each other. Do you know why you sing? Mitchell says this often. He's great at reminding us of this. Do you know why you sing? You don't just sing because God's up there just kind of, all right, Sunday morning again, let me just receive the praise. Pour out the praise to me. 
He doesn't need that. That's not why we sing. One of the main reasons we sing is for each other. It's good to hear gospel truths being sung, even poorly, by those that you've covenanted with, by those that you're in this fight with. So I want to encourage you, something you can do this semester. Consider how to stir up one person or two people or three people in this faith family to love and good works. Will you be intentional about that? Will you commit to that? Will you commit to intentionally stir someone up to love Jesus more, to draw nearer to him and to love others more, to draw near to others? Will you consider how you can stir someone up to obey Jesus more and to do good works, to pursue virtue? Will you encourage others in this faith family? It happens in life group. Life groups start next week. If you're not in a life group, talk to me after the service. Talk to me after the service. Interrupt me if I'm talking to somebody else, okay? I'll forgive you. The Lord does anyway. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group. The best year of my life at Trace Crossing was two years ago when I led TC Kids on Sunday nights while all of you beautiful people were in life groups and I had your children. And at the same time, our li- our, the people who served on Sunday night met midweek in a life group. It was the hardest, most exhausting year of my life, and I miss it. I believed a lie from Satan that I needed a break. You're working yourself to death. Leading a life group, leading TC kids, you need a night off. Take a break from life group. Satan will do whatever it takes to keep you by yourself. Satan will do whatever it takes to isolate you. The excuses that you're making, even if they're valid, to not draw near to other people in this faith family are from Satan. He wants to keep you by yourself. It was the whole point from the beginning. The elimination of communion with God and community with others. Jesus has redeemed that and Jesus is reconciling that. So on the basis of his blood, Trace Crossing, let's draw near to one another this year. I'll close with this. The last part of the passage says, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is talking about the day of judgment, the day when Christ returns, the day when Christ returns to bring his redeemed people home, to reign forever as our king, and to bring heaven down to earth in this new and glorious city where the people of God will live with him and one another in perfect love and perfect harmony and perfect community. Perfect community will be realized when that day comes. And on that day, we will never again desire to draw away from one another. On that day, we will continually, for eternity, draw closer and closer and closer and closer to God and closer and closer and closer and closer to each other. So right now, before that day comes, as we look toward that day, let's stir one another up, let's encourage one another, let's draw near to God, let's hold fast to hope. Why? To show our city a foretaste of what heaven on earth will be like. People loving one another and loving God in community. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your mercy that is shown to us through the blood of Jesus. He is our foundation. He is the rock on which we stand. We cling to him or we perish. So I pray if there's anyone in this room, anyone in this room, who is maybe like Michael Scott, just looking to belong, looking for community, looking for acceptance, 
If they haven't trusted in Jesus, they're never going to really find it. Because Jesus came to create true community with God and true community with others. It's by his blood that those who are alienated become accepted and adopted. And so I pray that they would draw near to you this morning by faith. That they would turn to Jesus. I pray that our members here, those who have trusted in Jesus once, would trust Jesus today and tomorrow and the day after that, that we would continue to draw nearer and nearer and nearer to you by faith. Jesus bought that privilege for us. We have access to the holy places, even though we ourselves are not holy. So thank you, Jesus, for dying in our place. I pray that you would empower us this year to draw near both to you and to one another. I pray that we would hold fast to the hope that you have given us in Jesus. And I pray that this year we would seriously, intentionally, and be disciplined about considering how to stir each other up. May we stir each other up more than we ever have to love you and to love others and to good works. I pray that you would help us not to neglect meeting together. On Sunday morning, sure. We don't need to minimize what happens on a Sunday morning. We don't need to expect too little of what happens today. But we don't want to idolize it either because we need more. So I pray that our life groups would be full. I pray that our life groups would multiply this year. I pray that you would raise up life group leaders and that we would train them well. I pray that our city would see pockets of communities of Christians who are doing what we were originally created to do and what we will do when that day comes when Jesus returns. Loving one another, sacrificing for one another, serving one another, encouraging one another. May we pour ourselves out for each other this year. And may our city see it, marvel at it, and then turn to Jesus. Because true acceptance and true community is only found in his blood. So Father, help us to respond now. Help us to hold fast even as we sing. And then help us to respond as we leave this place. We need your power to do it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We invite us to stand and we'll respond through song.